Welcome to the Double Chili Islanders podcast. I'm Peter Schwartz. Thanks for joining me on the latest edition of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and download the Double Chili Islanders podcast each week on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify Podcasts. This week on the Double Chili Islanders podcast, we're going to be giving away another $25 gift card for Blue Line Deli in Huntington. All you have to do is email Blue Line Deli Corp. That's Blue Line Deli, C-O-R-P, at gmail.com, and you'll be entered into a drawing to win that $25 gift card for the Blue Line Deli and Bagels in Huntington. My guest this week on the podcast is someone who had a huge impact on my life growing up. I, I knew I always wanted to be in broadcasting, but sometimes you need a little bit of inspiration and in going to games with my Dad, I always knew that I wanted to be involved in sports, would always tell him maybe I want to do that when I grow up. Well, there are certain broadcasters that I grew up listening to that had a huge impact. As a Yankee fan, it was always Phil Rizzuto. As a Jets fan, it was Marty Glickman and Spencer Ross. As a Knicks fan, it was Marv Albert. And I was a huge Cosmos fan growing up, so Jim Carvelis had a huge impact. But my favorite sports team of all time, obviously, the Islanders. And the man who made the biggest impact on me growing up and really the true inspirations to why I wanted to get into broadcasting was Jiggs McDonald, who of course had a great run as the Islanders TV broadcaster on Sports Channel and had some iconic moments as we're about to hear. Less than a minute remaining. 2-2 tie. The Islanders 14 game win streak is on the line and the last 60 seconds is touching. Moves into center right. Over the line. In it to Tonelli. Shooting. He scores! John Tonelli! The voice of Jiggs McDonald calling some great Islanders moments on Sports Channel back in the day. I'm Peter Schwartz. Coming up on the Double Chili Islanders podcast, we will talk to the iconic, legendary broadcaster of the New York Islanders, Jiggs McDonald. This is the Double Chili Islanders podcast. I'm Peter Schwartz. want to welcome in our special guest this week, the legendary Hall of Fame Islanders television voice for so many years on Sports Channel, Jiggs McDonald. Jiggs, it's Peter. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Peter. Hi. Happy holidays. Yes, and happy holidays to you and your family, and I appreciate a few minutes uh, on, on the podcast this week. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the, you know, the, the, the old days and, and the glory years with, with the Islanders when you were behind the microphone, but I just I wanted to start with the current team and just wondering how close you still follow them and uh, they're on a pretty good run now of stacking up points and it looks like they've they've gotten things together with uh, you know the early season blown leads and things like that just wondering if you've been able to stay close with the team and, and follow them from afar 
I've been watching a lot of games, and I've been watching and reading a lot on the social media, too. It's not that long ago that Lou was the dumbest general manager in the National Hockey League. <laughs> oh, you got to get rid of that coach. I mean, Lambert knows nothing about hockey. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, the word is patience. Patience. And Bill Torrey, I think anybody that goes way back Islander history has to recognize that there were times that the fans were calling for Al Arbor-Skelp. Get mm-hmm. him out of there. You know, this team is, is not responding to him. Bill knew what he had, and I think Lou is in the same position. He knows what uh, what talent he has. Uh, just give it a little time. A veteran team takes some time to, to get up to speed. Uh, you would think it should be automatic. You know, you've played with these guys for a while, and it should just fall into place for you. But I, I think of what Lou did when his defense started to, to fall with injury after injury, and he didn't give up a player. He got Riley, he got Bartoso. Look what they have done, mm-hmm. how they put it in, and he gave up nobody from this current roster. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. patience is so important. And I remember you know, reading stories. I was probably a little too young to remember when, especially you know, when, when Al, when Bill first hired Al, and I, re- I remember hearing stories and, and reading things about you know how, like, you know, the – you know, the fans and maybe even the ownership was, was losing patience. And that's how important that first Stanley Cup year was in 1980. Because if, if the Islanders don't win that year, there could have been major changes. And granted, we don't know what lies ahead for the current team, but you're right. Patience is so important. And, and one player that the Islanders have, you know, showed some early patience with, and now it's really paying off is Noah Dobson. And it's so important to be able to produce young defensemen. The Islanders have done that. You know, with Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock, but I, I'm sure you've been impressed with the season that Noah Dobson has had. And anytime you start hearing references to Dennis Potvin, you know he's doing a good job. Absolutely. Look at the numbers that he's putting up. Just and it's not really not really based on numbers. His ability to get back, man, he has legs. And and that's verified by the the number of minutes per game that he's playing. But just look at the way uh every now and then you'll say, Whoop he got caught. No, he didn't. He's back. He's got his man. Um, yeah, there there will be times when uh, the puck goes in. Um, hey, even Tavares, after a thousand points, uh, was on the ice to watch the puck go in a thousand and twenty nine times into the goal that he was supposed to be defending. So uh-huh. you know, it 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 takes it takes a while. Eddie Eddie Westfall, as you know, Eddie and I worked together all those years. Um, it takes longer for a defenseman to develop. Dennis was a, set, a special individual, and there have been others like Bobby Orr, um, Brad Park, and some others come to mind who've been able to separate into the league. And and I, I don't want to use the word star, but have that quality, that ability to adjust so quickly. And it took Noah a little time, but he knows his game now. He knows what he's capable of, what he can provide, and has uh, really, really blossomed. He, he is a credit to the to the scouting staff. Really, the, the scouts deserve all the credit. They could see what he had in the junior hockey and how it would develop, and it has. And and now, Jigs, also we're seeing the patience paying off with Matt Barzell, too, because he won the Rookie of the Year, the Calder Trophy, a few years ago. And you know, we all started to wonder, were we ever going to see him get back to that point or even build on that and become the franchise player that the Islanders think he's going to be? And it took a while, and it even took the acquisition of of Bo Horvat to get him on that line, and now Anders Lee has solidified a spot on that top line, and we are really now starting to see 
Matt Barzell coming into his own. He was a star, one of the three stars of the week a couple of weeks ago in the NHL. How impressed have you been with Matt Barzell and the way he's played this year? You know, the thing that has uh, really jumped off uh, the screen in, in watching games, not as lazy coming back as he used to be. Every now and then, uh, a turnover, and he just didn't get the jump to get back or try and intercept the play. Yeah, he's got all those moves. He can cut. He can he can make great passes. He can turn around a guy, turn him inside out, uh, and, and set up a great play. Sometimes there's no finish. Sometimes there is. But there's every now and then I would see it was like, oh, no. And instead of jumping back, he, he just kind of took that second and a half, and that's all it takes for the other team to beat you. Um Turnovers. He recovers more quickly than he than he did, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, he is. He's becoming the, the complete player that uh, everybody had projected him to be. We're talking to legendary Islanders broadcaster Jiggs McDonald here on the Double Chili Islanders podcast. I'm Peter Schwartz. So you, you like the way the Islanders have been playing. I mean, it's not always pretty, but they are stacking up points and they are starting to, you know, uh, you know make their way up the standings in the Metro towards the first place Rangers Rangers. And, you know, I know Al always used to say that it didn't always have to be pretty. You just had to get the job done. Do you, do you kind of look and see a little bit of that with the current team? I do. Uh, last night I found myself every now and then saying, and especially the third period saying, no, you can't play this way. You can't protect that lead. All of a sudden it could be three, two. And then, Oh, 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 um, they went forever without a shot on goal and heard last night. That said, they did a great job in their own end. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there were some, well, the shots total was, was certainly against them, but were they quality shots? Were they good scoring opportunities? No, there were, there were nothing, I shouldn't say nothing. There was a couple perhaps from the high slot, low slot, good scoring chances, but nowhere near the number that totaled to the, to the shots on goal. That, that wasn't, uh, quality chances that the Edmonton Oilers had last night. The um, again credit to just uh, keeping everything off to the side and uh, protecting that lead. I I I shook my head a few times, but hey, <laughs> final score was three one. It worked, didn't it? It wasn't pretty, but it worked. It sure did. And what's really working now also is UBS Arena as a home ice advantage, and we heard it rock a lot last night we've started to hear it rock a little more it was really rocking during the playoffs against carolina last year and you know anybody that goes back a long way with this team you know we're all spoiled about what the nassau coliseum was especially during the dynasty years it was so loud in there and it was loud again in subsequent eras of islanders hockey when they were in the playoffs and i know you've had a chance to be at ubs arena a few times since it it opened up how do you like the islanders new home and obviously it's hard to compare to what the coliseum was but how how much do you enjoy what the islanders have done uh, with ubs arena i think it's a fantastic building just an absolute uh piece of art from a from a hockey standpoint the the aesthetics it looks like it's been there forever uh, it's just a gorgeous building from the exterior. The interior is even better. Uh, anybody that hasn't been to a game, or, or even if you have, I'm going to suggest that you be there when the doors open. Uh, not so much to watch the warm-up, perhaps, as to walk around the building, check out each of the levels, and, and just just admire 
what this ownership has provided for the hockey team and for the community. It's uh, hockey is one aspect. The concerts, the other things that uh, will go on at UBS or another. It just it, it's a it's just an outstanding, well thought out, well planned building. And I I go back. Remember when it was in the projection stage, really, and they mm-hmm. said, well, when we build this. We're going to keep the ceiling low. That'll give us the, the crowd noise. That'll give us the same kind of vibe that the Nassau Coliseum had. You say, oh, I don't know. We yeah. just can't really <laughs> duplicate that. Yeah. But, like you said, a playoff time against Carolina was obvious watching television that uh, the building was rocking and it was every bit as loud. And there have been a couple of times so far this season, and, and there'll be more, when, uh, when it rocks real good. Oh, sure. No question. Jiggs McDonald is my guest here on the Double Chili Islanders podcast. You mentioned the ownership, Scott Malkin, John Ledecky, and uh, you know they have done a tremendous job revitalizing this franchise. You know, finally getting the Islanders their their long term home. It was such a a long and winding road through Brooklyn and through all the uh, the arguing with the politicians, and they got the building done, and the retail village is going up across the street um, from UBS Arena. And I don't know if you saw this, but they are building two outdoor rinks right outside UBS Arena. They're going to call it the park, and they're going to have youth games and uh, and all kinds of clinics. The MSG pregame show and postgame show is going to broadcast from there, kind of playing off the whole outdoor you know, hockey game type of thing. It's going to be another great aspect to UBS Arena. Uh, with, with all the years that the Islanders were kind of in purgatory with their ownership, how happy have you been with what uh, Scott Malkin and John Ledecky have accomplished since they've owned the team? Absolutely thrilled. Thrilled with it beyond belief. Uh, John is such a hands-on individual, uh, very, very aware of what goes on in the community and, and how the Islanders can play to the community and support the community. Uh, as you mentioned, these new outdoor rinks, uh, just, it's just incredible, the, the hands-on aspect. Uh, you don't hear a whole lot of Mr. Malkin, but uh, you know that he is in the background making sure that things are done right. He is an incredible individual, very uh, very quiet, um, not, not going to be in the, in the limelight at all. Uh, in fact, I, I think I can share this. Uh, I believe it was the Butch Goring banner raising. Uh, he just said quietly to me, uh, d- just rush by and put me right in behind Mr. Bettman and, and get it out of the way. Don't don't wait for any further applause. Uh, he, he just does not want any limelight. Mm-hmm. But uh, he is he's he's hands on in his own way too, Peter. He he knows what's going on. You know, you brought up the Butch Goring banner raising, and that was a great night. And, and also, uh, that was actually an afternoon. The John Tonelli night was was an evening ceremony, and uh, those were long overdue. And when you think about the Islanders' uh, rafters now at UBS Arena, there's that Hall of Fame banner that hangs from the rafters. And I think of always, and I've written a couple of stories about this, I think there's some names that are missing from that Hall of Fame banner. First of all, I know know you'll take this in stride, but I think you should be on that banner uh, to start with. But I know that there's some others that are, that are missing, not necessarily those who need to have their number retired, but I think there's some important people in Islanders history that should be recognized on that banner. Who comes to mind when you think about it that should be on that banner? First guy, in my opinion, is Stefan Persson. Yeah. Stefan was absolutely a, a huge, huge cog 
in what made that uh, Islander franchise so good. Uh, his passing ability, his smarts, his defensive ability. Uh, he would be be number one. I would put Howie in there, Howie Rose, uh, ahead of myself. Howie uh, endured some very lean years and wasn't entirely accepted by the fan base uh, as their broadcaster because of his Ranger roots, but uh, he he did more than than serviceable work. He mm-hmm. was outstanding in doing what he did all those years. Um, those are two names that come to mind just off the top of my head, Peter. You, know, you bring up Howie Rose, which is interesting, and, and, and I know where you're coming from when you say that he wasn't accepted, because it was a difficult time when you were when you did not come back as the Islanders broadcaster after 1995, and I was one of a number of people. come back. What's that? I wanted to. They didn't want me. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but I, that's, that's, where I, that's where I'm going with this, and there were a lot of unhappy people in Islanders country, and I, and I was one of them. I'm, I'm so glad. I know a lot of people were that, you know, later on you were able to come back and fill in for Howie and fill in for, for Brendan. And I, I don't think I've ever asked you this in all the interviews we've done since then. Just can, can you reflect on that, on that moment when you knew you were not going to come back and, you know, how hurt you were given, given the great run that you had with the Islanders and Sports Channel? It was an absolute, total gut punch. Um, fact is, a new agreement had been had been negotiated um, and agreed to by both parties. It hadn't been put in writing, hadn't been put on paper. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to read it or sign anything. Uh, and I got a call from a friend who had been uh, on Long Island and working with executives of the company that had the broadcast rights at the time. And they were, according to him, openly talking about my demise that I wouldn't be back. Uh, no, I, I just agreed to a contract. I, what, what are you talking about? Anyway, it uh, turns out he was right. They, um, they had withdrawn the, the offer um, without telling me or the gentleman who was handling my legal aspect of the thing. Uh, it just that, uh, no, I was, I was done. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So I, I wasn't really fired. I was told to be patient. <laughs> There's that word again. I, I've heard uh, that. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, they, they, uh, I think they decided that I was the squeaking wheel and that they had had enough of me. I, I just felt at the time that our production had, uh, had really suffered. We hadn't added a camera, uh, tape machine. And this is all technical stuff. Yeah. But, um, we were at, at one point, I thought our telecasts were on a par with Hockey Night in Canada or any any network uh, coverage from a uh, just the look of it on the, on your screen and mm-hmm. what you were seeing. Um, and then our graphics were never updated. Uh, things just uh, the truck would arrive at three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, try and do an interview at five for the pregame show or whatever. Cameras weren't in place. Tape machines weren't up and running. Uh, we, we just. We we were we were really falling apart from a again from a technical standpoint, and I, I complained and uh, probably shouldn't have. But you were able to come back, um, and I know Howie Rose was one that 
pushed hard for that to happen when because you spent yes. some time with the Maple Leafs and then a long time there with the, with the Panthers. Bill Torrey brought you to Florida to start up that franchise. But I know Howie Rose was was huge in pushing MSG because he needed some games off to do Met games. Um, uh, how appreciative were you to Howie for that for for him putting in those words to to, to bring you back to to Islander broadcast at least on a on a part time basis? Not one bit. Would you be happy if he wanted you to go to Winnipeg and Minnesota and Edmonton and Calgary? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not serious. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I was I, I was more than than pleased and then became thrilled. And I I have to admit that I knew just as soon as the schedule came out what games Howie was going to miss each year. It would be that Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Minnesota trip. Uh, St. Louis sometimes as well. In fact, uh, something came up on social media just a little while ago. I think 11 or 12 years ago tonight, I was in Winnipeg. <laughs> and I'm saying, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it was it, it was wonderful. It, it uh, And I thank Howie, and I continue to thank him for that opportunity and for the fans to accept me at uh, coming back um, at the advanced age and even uh, filling in for Brendan uh, after he replaced Howie was uh, was great too. It, it just uh, you know keep keep involved in the game and um, they, they claim it's like riding a bicycle, but uh, not really. There, there's so much goes on in today's game: mm-hmm. the speed, uh, all the technical uh, tracking of uh, the shots and ice time and everything that is up on the. It's like a video game. It's like a video game. Sometimes it's a little difficult to watch, and my kids enjoy watching it because they 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 play the video games. But like for me, like I got to see. I, I know that's Sebastian Aho out there. I don't need that. I don't need that little thing to tell me that that's Sebastian Aho. <laughs> and you know the other distracting thing, Peter, <laughs> is the the boards. Uh, things start to move on the, on the boards, and oh. the cameras panning or moving back and forth, and I'm I'm losing the I'm losing the play. Yeah. Oh, 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 there it is. There they are. <laughs> Okay. Ooh, uh, well, I remember there was no there was a point where there was no people can't understand this. Younger people remember there there was a time if you watched the old Islander films from the uh, the dynasty years, and even after that a little bit, there was never advertising on the dasherboards. Exactly. We uh, we've gone through, or in my case, I've gone through so many changes in the uh, presentation of the game, so to speak. There was a time. Jack Kent Cook, back in 19, the spring of 1968, suggested to Clarence Campbell that there be a line just an eighth or a quarter of an inch wider than the puck inside the goal mouth. Okay, you've got the goal line, and now you've got this small second line. And from a goal judge's standpoint, if the puck ever touches that second line, you know it's entirely in the net. Wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. Clarence Campbell's response, we already have too many markings on the ice now, Jack. <laughs> uh, this is long before hash marks. This is all, Anyway, it, uh, the game has evolved. It has changed so much over the years, but it's still the best team sport in the world. You know, when, when people talk about your run with the Islanders and watching games, and I fall into this category too, it was, uh, and listen, it, it, your, your name always came first. It was Jiggs, Jiggs McDonald. And it was Eddie, and it was always Jiggs and Eddie, and you guys were the iconic duo for a long time. Um, I'm sure you still stay in touch with him, and, and I'm sure you saw 
A couple of weeks ago, he was honored out east on Long Island with the naming of a youth hockey arena, the Ed Westfall Arena, out in uh, Peconic in Calverton. Um, and I, I know I've talked to you about this before, but can you kind of put into words what it meant to you to work with uh, with 18 all those years? You know, it, my mother used to be, uh, be the kind of person who would say, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> be care- and, uh, you know, when the opportunity, I said, oh, I have been so well looked after, the opportunity to work with Eddie. I've said this many times. I knew his brother George. Uh, well, actually, there were, there were three brothers. Stan was a was a good player too, but he came became a referee. That's not to say that he wasn't a good guy when he became a um, an on ice official. And and Howie, uh, it just the, the Westfall family were were sensational. And to get the opportunity to work with Eddie, uh, he uh, very from the very first uh, get together. We uh, we meshed, at least in my opinion, we meshed, and uh, it it stayed that way. We um, they, they did send us to a broadcast consultant at one time, they being Sports <laughs> Channel, uh, and it was it was like a marriage counselor. Uh, we sat with this young lady, and she rolled a tape and stopped and looked at us and said, "Well, well, what? Well, you didn't react. There was it was like you're in two different places." Well, he's heard my lines. I'd heard all his, and uh, you know when you and she played it back again and said, "You know, you're right. It's like we're not playing off one another. We're not. We're not a. We're, we're like an old married couple. They're just not. Very <laughs> We uh, we weren't presenting to the audience uh, our feelings, expressing our feelings on the air. Uh, so we got straightened out on that. Uh, as Eddie has said, we were we were together longer than a lot of marriages remained yep. together. We we had some good times. We really we enjoyed one another's um, broadcast abilities in the booth. We enjoyed one another's uh, social activities uh, post game or traveling as well. We uh, we really really had a good time. How do you? And we're talking to Jigs McDonald. A couple of minutes left with the legendary Islanders broadcaster. Uh, I, I know that uh, MSG uh, came to you for some thoughts on Brendan Burke when they were looking to fill Howie's seat, and Brendan has really, I mean, he is now beloved by Islanders country, you know, working with Butch and uh, Goring and Shannon Hogan and the whole MSG crew. Uh, your thoughts on, on Brendan, who you know, in a lot of people's minds has become one of the best young broadcasters in the whole sport. There is no question in my mind but what he is. He... Uh... He jumped right in. He, and you'll go back to what we were talking about with Noah Dobson, and taking Noah a little time to to learn the game, what how he could the game and how he could adjust his style to Islander style and playing against opposition. Brendan maybe took uh, what would you say ten, twelve games mm-hmm. to establish himself, uh, if that even. He is a talent. Uh, it was obvious his voice number one in the. Uh, the tapes that I had heard prior to the hiring, I said, oh, he cuts through. There, there are voices that cut through a crowd, like Foster Hewitt had that, and Danny Gallivan as well, had that pitch in their, in their tone and their voice that cut through the crowd. That It just it exuded the excitement at the right time. It wasn't like every shot on goal is going to win the Stanley Cup for you. He, he went as the game picked up or as the... Uh, 
the scoring opportunities or the intensity of the game, uh, he was right with it and has been. And more, I just can't say enough good things about the work of Brendan Burke, whether it's hockey, uh, his, his baseball in the offseason, his football. He is, he is a talent. You you did a little bit of baseball too because I remember when you were with, with Sports Channel and there was a time where you you did you did a handful of of, of Mets games and I'm just wondering um, how that came about and how much fun that was for you to be involved with some Met broadcasts. Uh, as my recollection is that uh, well number one I'm going to give credit to the late Bill Webb. Uh, Bill was our Islander producer director. One guy did everything back then. And Bill was doing Mets, and uh, he and I had a great relationship. But uh, from the front office standpoint at Sports Channel, the way it was explained to me was they wanted an identity. They wanted somebody with uh, the Sports Channel uh, logo on their on their telecasts. There was uh, at the time there was Ralph Kiner, uh, Lauren Brown, uh, the year that I was there, and they just felt that they needed somebody to go in. Kind of, kind of like a glue, um, mm-hmm. but representing or being the, the sports channel guy. So I did uh, 60 games. I did a couple of games on uh, radio. I think it was uh, probably Hall of Fame weekend, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that that that's the way that came about. That that was fun. I enjoyed it. Did, was, was baseball something you followed at all growing up in Canada? Oh yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Having been in Los Angeles for those first five years of my NHL career, and uh, a guy by the name of Tom Lasorda. Uh-huh. Being I've, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tommy, at that time, wasn't the Dodger manager. He was managing Spokane in the, in the Western League. And uh, the community that I had uh, worked in before going to Los Angeles had a senior hockey team that ended up playing Spokane for the All-Canada, actually the... It was Canada-U.S., I guess, for the Allen Cup. So I went up to uh, Spokane. Uh, the Dodgers farm team played afternoon games, and uh, I wasn't doing play-by-play. I was just in the booth, uh, again, to add some comments with, uh, with a friend of mine who was now doing the games back at where I'd come from. And Tom would come to the games and sit in with us, too. It was, uh, and, and that's when the Spokane had the, that great infield that became the Dodger infield, you know, the... Uh, Lopes, say... Um, Bill Russell? Yeah, yes. And oh, it was just a great time, great time. And when I when I did do the Mets that season, <laughs> got to Dodger Stadium and uh, on the field, BP, here comes Tom. He said, McDonald, finally. <laughs> finally, you're where you should be. <laughs> did, did you have did you have a home run call, Jiggs? I mean, everyone always now you know the Yankees got Yankees got Juan Soto now, and everybody's wondering what John Sterling's home run call is going to be for Juan Soto. Did you have a Did you have a home run call? No, I didn't. That's great. I, I wanted to close with this. At the beginning of the show, I played some. Uh, iconic moments that that you called uh, during your run with the Islanders, and I, and I wanted to ask you, and I think I know what a couple of the answers are going to be, but I was wondering if you had two or three favorite moments um, calling Islander games, whether it was an overtime goal or an iconic goal. Are there two or three from all the years you were with the Islanders that stick out for you? 
hard to narrow it down to, to two or three, um, but probably Bossy's 50 in 50 uh, would come to mind. Kenny Morrow, the, the goal that they eliminated the, basically eliminated the Rangers in that series when Herbie Brooks was coaching the Rangers, kept the Islander hopes alive. Uh, and I overlooked one and probably should be number one would be the uh, Tonelli goal to eliminate Pittsburgh. Uh, the Islander run could have been over after two Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they manhandled Pittsburgh at home, go into Pittsburgh and lose uh, in overtime, I believe it was, in Game 3, uh, get blown out in game, game 4 of a best-of-five series, come home and are down, uh, get it tied up, and Mike Bullard has a chance to win it in overtime, and the Islanders come back the other way. Uh, that that I would have to put as as number one, um, and then we'll go with uh, we'll go with Kenny Morrill. We'll go with Mike Bossy's fifty and fifty. Bob Bourne, Rinklake, Dash. Uh, they're, they're just. They're how about David? Players. How about David Volick's goal in Game Seven? Oh heavens, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh yeah, poor David. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about being in Al's doghouse. Al Al kept saying he's deaf. He's deaf. You talk to him, he nods, and yeah, yeah, and then he goes out and does the same stupid thing all over. Uh, he kept he kept David out of the lineup, well, several games that season. Yeah, and I think it was only because of some injuries that uh, Bollock was in the lineup that night, and bang, yeah, to, to beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh and win that series, go on to uh, to Montreal. Yep. Jigs yeah, that would be right there too. Yeah, it was definitely an iconic call, and some of the ones you mentioned also obviously great moments in Islanders history. Jigs, I, I can't thank you enough. I think every time we do this, uh, we take a little bit longer and a little bit longer, and that's because it's so much fun, you know, going down memory lane with you and talking about the Islanders. And, and I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me on the podcast. We're going to take just a little bit longer because my, I guess I'm showing my age. How could I forget? Pat LaFontaine at 10 minutes to 2 oh, on Sunday morning. Shame on me, too. Washington. Shame on me, too. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Do you know, I, I, I'm going I'm 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 to extend this a few more seconds. I just want to tell you, I, I, I don't think I've ever told you this story before. That that game, that, that game seven, uh, I, I came home uh, from college. Um, and I'm getting ready. You know, I'm coming home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, watch the, the rest of the... Uh, the playoffs, uh, the game seven. I came home that Friday, I guess it was. The game was on a Saturday night. I came home on Friday. My best friend was already on his spring break, was getting ready to go back to college. I come home. My parents pick me up at the airport. I come home to my to our house at East Meadow, and I go downstairs to the basement. I go to turn uh, the TV on, and I'm like, where's the cable? And I'm like, the, the, there's no cable TV in the house anymore. And I go, no. I, said, I said, Mom, what happened to cable TV? And he, she goes, well, since you went away to college, nobody was really you know, watching a whole lot of sports on TV, so we just felt like we would pull it out for a little while. And I said, are you crazy? Tomorrow's game seven. What am I supposed to do? So I wound up going to my best friend's house 
to watch Game 7. The next morning, he had to get on a bus to go back to upstate New York to go to college. I'm like, don't worry, you'll get plenty of sleep. You'll be fine. The game will be over about you know, 10, 10.30. I sat there with him having conniptions watching that game, and my poor friend Robert had to, had to get on a bus to go back to Alfred the next morning. In the meantime, that game ended just before 2 o'clock in the morning. Yes. Oh, yeah. And we uh, we as a team and, and the traveling party didn't get back to Long Island until close to 8 a.m. Uh, because of fog, we, uh, we, we couldn't leave Baltimore charter flight uh-huh. and when we did get out of there we couldn't uh, go to LaGuardia where everybody's car was <laughs> we ended up at, at Kennedy and uh, <laughs> had to way out way they they took us to a remote landing area and and park park there and then everybody I guess I think there was a bus for the players and we had to find a way uh, I think it was security uh, got us to a terminal, then we were able to get to, and the cab drivers, of course, didn't want to really go from Kennedy to LaGuardia, um, over there to the uh, charter terminal to get our, <laughs> our cars. And then we turned around later that uh, afternoon and went to, drove down to Philadelphia for the next series. I think yeah. I said Montreal, but Philadelphia was the next series. It, it was the one of the, it was one of only two times I really got angry with my mother. The other time was, um, during Game Seven against Pittsburgh in '93, I did not. I was covering the Islanders, but I did not travel for the away game. So I was home watching the game, and uh, downstairs in in my apartment, which was downstairs in my parents' house, and Islanders are winning three to one in the third period. And my mother comes down the steps and says, "Hey, they're doing well. They're gonna win." And I said, "Mom, you don't do that in the middle of the game." <laughs> And of course, the Penguins come back. The Penguins come back and tie the game, and they go to the intermission. And I went upstairs, and I let my mother have it. I mean, my my poor mom, not knowing like you don't jinx things in sports. Thank God David Volick scored that goal in overtime, or I really would have let my mother have it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, the memories. And, and I'm, I am so glad we had this. Uh, this chance to do this. Thanks for joining me on the on the podcast, and I uh, hope to catch up again somewhere down the road. I look forward to it. Anytime, Peter. Ha- happy holidays. Jigs McDonald, legendary Islanders broadcaster, and we will wrap up the Double Chili Islanders podcast coming up. I'm Peter Schwartz. This is the Double Chili Islanders podcast. I'm Peter Schwartz. Again, thanks to Jigs McDonald for being my special guest on the show this week, and once again, thanks to Blue Line Deli and Bagels for supplying our giveaway, a $25 gift card to Blue Line Deli in Huntington. I'm Peter Schwartz. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, download and listen to the podcast at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Double Chili Islanders podcast.